Welcome to the West Block Podcast, the bonus edition. In less than a month, voters south of the border will head to the polls in what many are calling the most important midterm election of our lifetime. President Trump is not on the ballot, but many analysts see this election as a referendum on Trump's two years in office. And the president himself plans to spend time on the campaign trail, more so than his two predecessors trying to mobilize his base. If you want to stop the radical Democrats from running Congress, then you need to vote Republican. You have to get out there on November 6th and vote Republican. But will Trump's time on the campaign trail be enough for the Republican Party to maintain control of the House of Representatives and the Senate? Joining me now is Christopher Sands, Senior Research Professor and Director of the Center for Canadian Studies at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University in Washington, D.C. Chris, let's start off with why both Democrats and Republicans are saying that this midterm election is one of the most important that we will see in our lifetime. Well, it really is a pivot election. Uh, usually the first election after uh, a big presidential election is a referendum on the president. And Donald Trump has been a, quite an extraordinary president, not the sort of president we're used to seeing from either party, and in some ways has realigned politics. You've seen the emergence of sort of the, the fringe elements of both parties, a more progressive, some people say democratic socialist uh, community coming in and really dominating discussions within the Democratic Party. And this new Trumpian populist right, which has started to dominate uh, discussions in the Republican Party. And so as this goes forward to an election, what you're seeing are those factions are driving the agenda. They have their own candidates, many of whom came through primaries. And the outcome of this election will give us probably a progressive majority of Democrats and a progressive majority of Republicans. I can't say who's going to control which house, but, but that emergence of a very different vision of what the parties represent, uh, rather than being a referendum on Trump, may actually become a bit of a reaction to Trump. And it's a sign that U.S. politics are shifting into a totally new direction. I want to pick up on what you just said a moment ago with regards to the House and the Senate and what we might see on November 7th. Republicans control the House and the Senate. All House seats will be voted on next month. One third of the Senate is up for re-election. What do you think will happen? Well, it's very difficult to call this particular election. There are some things we know that normally give you a pretty good predictor. First, the Senate doesn't change much. And the majority of seats that are up in the Senate are seats in states that Trump won rather than Hillary Clinton. And so we don't expect the Senate to change. That would be if politics are normal, and they may not be normal. On the House side, it's slightly different because every seat is up for uh, re-election. And we've had this, this contest. It's, it, the Republicans have a narrow majority but on the other hand, many of the Trumpian supporters have found that Paul Ryan, the retiring Speaker of the House, some of the Republican leadership are really out of touch with the president. They haven't been that supportive of him. And so there's a shaking up of the Republican majority or potentially minority as well. So much so that there are more Republican House members who are simply retiring than Democrats. And that's led many people to expect a Democratic blue wave. Why? Because it's easier to win an empty seat. Uh, if there's no incumbent, that, that does tend to increase the odds of, of that party winning the seat. So I think Democrats are very optimistic, and I would have been optimistic with them for their chances uh, up until the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, when Supreme Court, now Supreme Court Justice, then nominee Brett Kavanaugh came before the Congress. It really was something, the only thing I, I've ever seen that was like that in American politics was the OJ trial 
remember O.J. Simpson was on trial, and everyone kind of came in with their own bias or presumption of whether he was guilty or innocent. And after it all came out, I think most people walked away from it with that same bias reinforced. They were either convinced he was guilty or convinced he wasn't. And in the same way, we had that kind of thing around Brett Kavanaugh. And many people who felt that the charges that were brought against him lacked evidence saw it as an example of the kind of political correctness that has been very common on the left, and they didn't like the violence and sort of you always bring out that law and order voter who doesn't like the shouting, doesn't like the screaming, and so forth. On the other side, there are many people for whom the Me Too movement has really shaken things up. It's, it's a change from the past, and they're very sympathetic to the charge. And even if it, isn't, it doesn't have evidence, they'll say, well, we should believe women when they bring charges forward. So because of those things coming in, people walked away with a much more intense feeling but on the same side they were on before. That could rally traditional Republicans who don't like Trump to support Trump anyway. Um, it certainly seems to have consolidated the right, and, and that has mixed up this election. I don't think we can count on a blue wave, but I wouldn't count it out. It's just a lot harder to predict after that episode. If a blue wave does hit the House and we end up on November 7th with a split and the Democrats control the House, will the Republicans keep control of the Senate? What does that mean in terms of American policy and what we can expect in 2019? Oh, that's going to be very tough. So <laughs> you're only asking me hard questions, Mercedes. Um, what I would say is this. The, there are two issues I would watch. The first is, is impeachment, and the second is trade in the economy, of course, very important for Canada. Starting with impeachment, many people on the progressive side of the Democratic Party have found, have assumed from the beginning that Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. Uh, whether it was for the way he won or the way he's conducted himself in office, they would like to see him impeached. We've seen Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, and Kamala Harris, the senator from California, both of whom are presumed to be running or soon to be running for the presidential nomination in 2020, who've come out saying they would like to see the Supreme Court justice that was just passed, Brett Kavanaugh, impeached. Uh, for having lied to the committee. So this is a real shakeup. And if Democrats control the House, that's where impeachment charges begin. And so you could see uh, trench warfare with Republicans trying to bring those charges forward. And a real shakeup, not only of the executive branch potentially, but also of the judicial branch. On trade in the economy, the odds are also very puzzling. And I think the reason for that is that trade is in flux. Traditionally, we thought Republicans like free trade. Democrats, uh, partly because of their union voter base, have been skeptical of trade, not necessarily with Canada, but with, with certainly other countries. And that was very predictable. But Donald Trump drew a lot of blue-collar union voters over to him and there are two views. Either that's the new Republican Party, and certainly many Republican leaders have assumed that and have been trying to soften their former commitment to free trade, even in the context of the USMCA talks. And on the Democratic side, the assumption is, well, they were just borrowed by Donald Trump. They will come back to the Democratic Party, but we don't want to alienate them. And so they have also been uh, supportive of Trump's trade policy, at least in the broad renegotiation challenge of China, renegotiation of NAFTA. So on, on that, I think it's going to be very hard to predict whether a Democratic takeover of the House does lead to any difference or a challenge to Trump trade policy, even in the USMCA. But the final piece, and I think the one that is, is maybe the biggest wild card of all, is how the economy is campaigned on if the Democrats control the House. 
there's a fear, and, and you hear it every once in a while in Washington cocktail parties, that, that what will happen is the Democrats will take the House, and the lag effect of Donald Trump's economic policies, his trade war with China, his fighting with the Europeans, starts to show up in terms of prices in the markets. And Donald Trump, with his amazing Twitter account, goes out and says, look what happens when you like Democrats. The markets were great. We had almost 4% growth, record low unemployment. The Democrats take one chamber of the House. They're like the plague. The economy is turning down. Truly, it'll be the lag effect of Trump policies, but he's so effective in getting his message out. I think some Democrats worry that winning could be actually bad for them, winning in 2018 could be bad for them in 2020, because Trump could potentially turn any economic downturn and hang it on the Democrats if they're able to take the House. And finally, just to pick up on USMCA specifically, if there is one party controlling the House and a different party is controlling the Senate, all three countries still need to ratify the agreement, how do you see that playing out, given what will be a very difficult relationship between the two chambers and the White House? Well, I think the, um, I've been watching this very closely in the last week or so since we've had a deal. So far, Republican leaders seem committed to seeing the deal ratified, as do Democrats. The Canadian and Mexican governments, in terms of their public pronouncements, have grudgingly accepted that this is a deal and we should probably proceed. I don't think either Ottawa or Mexico City is particularly thrilled. They like the old system better, but they've reconciled themselves to this being probably the best deal that's possible. And in both Canada and Mexico, there's a tremendous desire to just get the certainty back of knowing what the trade regime is. So without protests from Canada and Mexico and with trade being such an uncertain issue, my suspicion is that if there is a partisan split, uh, because trade is so uh, in flux, Democrats will challenge the president on other issues. They'll challenge him on judges. They'll challenge him on his management of the economy. But on trade, they'll let this go through because in a way, consolidating relationships in North America on trade is a sort of precondition for resolving two much bigger disputes, the one with the European Union and perhaps the biggest of them all between the United States and China. Uh, the show, sense of a showdown coming between the U.S. and China, perhaps over a reform of the WTO and a new WTO round, that is really driving uh, people's focus on trade. And as long as Canada and Mexico aren't complaining, USMCA may not be great, but fine, we'll settle this and let's move on to the bigger fight. I think that's the attitude. So even with a split, even with some turmoil in Congress, I figure this will probably not be the issue on which Democrats or even Republicans who don't like Trump are really willing to fight. Thanks so much for joining us, Mr. Sands. A pleasure. Thanks, Mercedes. Thanks for checking out the West Block podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and listen on your Apple podcast, Google podcast, or wherever you find your podcast. And join the conversation at the West Block Facebook and check out our Instagram page. And please tune in again.